This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. It is time to launch a new war against the evil of lies, deceit, and darkness and go all out to win the victory of truth and transparency and light. Sure, go ahead. Believe everything you see on television, everything you read in the newspaper. Go ahead. Get your history out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's right. Oswald killed Kennedy. Yeah, sure he did. Man, you are living in Disneyland. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Well, good evening. Yes, and isn't that the story? We thought we were alone on the planet. Hello, my name is Victor Vigiani, and welcome to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And obviously, I'm not Richard. Richard is away on a bit of a well-deserved rest this weekend. And I'm sitting in in the, in the pilot's chair to take over and do the best we can to bring you the news on things very, very different in the world. And as the introduction indicated to you, things are very, very different. We know that. Those of you who tune into the show realize that. And we try to bring you the news that is alternative news. It is different news. It is different information. And we do welcome you and we do thank you for joining us on board this evening. We have a very interesting show this evening. And we would like to um, eventually bring in a very special guest from Brazil. And we'll be getting to that in a moment. And this individual has... uh, pretty well led the command in the international UFO field in terms of research on the UFO issue in demanding answers from his government and the military about the UFO issue. And it is a a real pleasure uh, to introduce this individual. His name is A.J. Gavard, and uh, he's a a renowned individual internationally. He's a founder of the Brazilian UFO magazine. He's also the founder and director of the Brazilian Center for Flying Saucer Research, the largest organization of its type in South America with well over 1,200 members for the past 19 years. He's been the only full-time UFO researcher in Brazil. And in 1983, he was appointed by Dr. A.J. Hynek to be the representative of the Center of UFO Studies in Brazil. It's a real esteemed appointment. And this individual, he has produced, I guess, uh, multiple numbers of information seeks out of the UFO uh, research community. And he also heads the Brazilian Committee on UFO Researchers, 
and that has recently examined the UFO issue and documents in the Brazilian military and UFO disclosure. And I guess that's one of the main things that we want to talk to AJ about this evening because of his contacts and influence with the Brazilian government in trying to come to the bottom of and get the cooperation from the military and the government about the UFO issue. So we do welcome AJ Gavard here on The Conspiracy Show. AJ, welcome to the program. Thank you, Victor. It's my pleasure to be a part of your show. And I, I greet all your listeners, and uh, I hope that uh, our talk is helpful to try to understand, to make you understand uh, how things are going in Brazil and how we do things uh, towards uh, opening files, uh, opening secret UFO files from the government. Well, yeah, I guess that's the point that uh, that we have to really look at, AJ, because all of the um, the information that I have, and I followed your work for a number of years. And one of the things that uh, has really astounded uh, me in, in terms of how you've gotten into the, um, I guess, the official government, um, I guess, attack on this whole information. And what astounds me is how have you managed to get the cooperation uh, of the government and the military in the way that you have? Because it appears that uh, for whatever reasons, they're cooperating with you. Here in North America, it's quite difficult for UFO researchers to get the cooperation of military and government, but somehow you in Brazil and you and your your your, um, your colleagues have somehow managed to co-opt the government into cooperating with you and not only releasing files but actually getting into investigating UFO uh, cases. H how did that come about? Well, uh, that's a long story that I'll try to make it short. See, Brazil has a long-time relationship with the UFO phenomena officially. Our military started uh, looking into this issue uh, as far as uh, 1954. So in 1954, when almost all the world was covered up, covered up uh, the UFO phenomena here in Brazil, we had some, uh, some military from the Brazilian Air Force that were already starting their investigation of this phenomenon. And it, 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 it went on. On the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, we have several projects of UFO investigation officially put together in, in several branches of the Brazilian Air Force. Also, Victor, maybe some people in the United States don't know, but in South America, uh, there are several governments that take care of the UFO phenomena research officially. See? One of the longest living uh, official UFO investigation program is in Uruguay, which started in 1979, and they are uh, fully active until now. And we have in Chile, since 1997, another uh, organization dedicated to UFO research, which is connected to the civilian aviation department, while in Uruguay, it's a branch of the Uruguayan Air Force. We also had in the uh, early 2000, we had the Peruvian Air Force uh, starting their investigation officially toward the UFO phenomena in Peru and Lima and also in Ecuador and now in Argentina for quite uh, two and a half years now. Argentina is engaged in, in official UFO investigation. So we, with Brazil, it comes to six countries in South America alone that do uh, investigate or deal with this phenomena officially. Now, in Brazil right now, 
It is said by our government that there is no official UFO investigation going on. But in Brazil, the situation is different because the government, uh, or, or, or at least uh, its uh, Brazilian Air Force, it, it says that it is completely open towards the subject. As of August, the year 2000, the commander of the Brazilian Air Force issued a resolution that was published uh, in the official uh, newspaper of the, the, this administration <laughs> to say that from that moment on, all reports of unidentified flying objects received by any branch, any, any department of the Brazilian Air Force should be sent to a specific location and then after uh, being taken care of should be made available to the public in the National Archives. That is uh, one milestone decision by our commander of the Brazilian Air Force, which did that as to say uh, uh, to, to us, to the Brazilian UFO researchers into the entire society that our government is not holding any information about this subject. And it, yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess that's a, that's a great introduction to um, to what we're trying to get at here. Now, when you say that the Brazilian government or the military are investigating, or the that the files are passed along, and, and to the military or whatever, however, however these things are, are are put forward to the military or to the government, what happens to them? So there's a UFO sighting or there's a landing or whatever. How does the government? Uh, first of all, investigate it and then interpret it and then feed the information back to the media. And, and is there any type of, you know, media um, follow-up and, and interpretation to the public about what these things are and what it really represents politically? Sort of. Um, our military are open towards this subject. But right now, uh, the, the Brazilian Air Force says that it's not conducting any UFO investigation whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So they say that when they get any report of UFOs coming from anywhere in the country, and this is a big country, lots of flights all over, and especially those reports that are coming from aeronautical personnel and pilots, uh, air traffic controllers, this kind of, of, of people, these reports should be centralized in the Brazilian Aerospace Defense Command in the federal capital in Brasilia. And then it should be sent, according to some rules, it should be sent to the National Archives to be made public. But in, uh, it means that, like, if someone flying, some pilot flying a, 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 a 747 or 777 right, yeah. from Sao Paulo to Rio, for instance, if it sees a UFO and it reports it officially, it has to fill up a, a, a form that are spread all over the, the, the airports in Brazil. This guy has to fill it up, this form, and send to the Brazilian Airspace Defense Command in Brasilia. And it will be received by the military, and it will, will be made public through the National Archives. So anyone can see uh, the file or any, any, any other report that comes along with that file of this, this side thing. So, if it, the UFO was detected by radar, 
uh, along with uh, the visual observation made by the pilots in this example. Mm -hmm. It will be all together in the National Archives, so anyone can go there in Brasilia and check it out. So I guess there's, there's really, so the reports can be made uh, from whatever sources uh, they emanate from, and then the reports are made, and then it resides in, 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 a, in some sort of file somewhere. Now, does the military make any interpretations of what these things might be? Do they make any comment about... Because I guess the reason I'm asking that question, AJ, is because, um, uh, you know, this, this seems to be a step ahead, like a big step ahead from whatever happens here in North America. These things don't even, don't even come to any kind of surfacing within the, uh, the North American uh, framework. I mean, so it, do, do you consider what's happening in Brazil a, a big step uh, forward or ahead of what's happening in North America, or is it just a matter of these reports being made, they land up in the military, military files, and they just they sort of die there? Like, what's, what's the difference here? Well, Steve, uh, I think it's a big difference. Uh, I think that the Brazil is probably the only government in the world who has done it because it was official. This resolution was issued and published, so it was made official that this is the rule that, that the Brazilian Air Force uh, follows when it comes to reports of UFOs. Now, it, it was a kind of ambiguous resolution because mm -hmm. it doesn't say in any point of it, and it's a, it's a, it's a huge statement, it's a, several articles, uh, it doesn't say in any point of it that the Brazilian Air Force will investigate the report made to them. It doesn't say. It just says that all reports received by the Brazilian Air Force are to be made public immediately through the National Archives. That's After great. Okay, I'm going to hold you there, AJ, because we've got to take a break here, okay? And we'll yeah. be right back. Uh, we're talking with AJ Guevard, a UFO researcher from Brazil, and you're listening to The Conspiracy Show, and my name is Victor Vigiani, sitting in for Richard Serrett. Stay right there, and we'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. And the history of ufology, it is recognized that the first country to ever admit officially how serious the UFO phenomenon is was France back in 1976. But actually, it was Brazil 22 years earlier in 1954 in a press conference held in Rio de Janeiro at the Superior War Academy. It started a growing conscience in the nation that something very huge and very important was going on and needed immediate attention and investigation by not only military bosses, civilian UFO researchers. In all history, we have military working together with civilians. That was the voice of A.J. Gavard, UFO researcher from Brazil. And before the break, we were investigating and talking about uh, how the link between independent civilian UFO researchers has really been, um, I guess, ingrained in and beginning to become a little bit more a part of the military and government uh, 
investigations of UFOs, and we find that in North America to be a very anomalous situation because here in North America, obviously, as most of you will understand, that our government will have nothing to do with this. There is no way that any of our government officials or military would make any kind of public statements, but here we have you know, a country like Brazil and the Air Force, and as AJ was indicating earlier, that Paraguay and uh, Uruguay and Chile, mm-hmm. Argentina have all kinds of reports of these things and a cooperation. So let's continue along with that line of thinking, AJ, and, and developing, I guess, uh, the, the question, how did all of this really come about? We, we know that uh, it back as far back as 1954, your government admitted that this was a worthwhile subject to investigate. Is that is not, not correct? That's correct. That was in 1954, which is long time ago. We already had a, a group of military assembled to investigate the subject, which repeated, was repeated in 1969, and then again in 1977. And in 77, during what we call the Operation Saucer, there was a close encounter that happened between Brazilian Air Force military, several officials, and extraterrestrial intelligences in the Amazon. Now, to, to answer to your question of, of how this happened in Brazil, well, in, nine, in 2004, I uh, had an idea, and I put this idea to my colleagues, the, the other members of the Brazilian Committee of UFO Researchers. The first one to acknowledge the idea was Marco Antonio Petit, the co-editor of the Brazilian UFO magazine. Mm-hmm. And we started a campaign, a movement in Brazil called UFOs Freedom of Information Now, which has the purpose of asking the government to come clear about this, to open its files about UFOs, and also, at the same time, establish a committee for investigation of this phenomenon composed both by military and civilian. We started having, like, with all, all over the internet, with the magazines, and uh, making a petition, asking people to sign it, and eventually got like 70,000. Uh, signatures. Se- se- 70,000. 70,000 signatures uh, of supporting our, our demands to the government. And in, on early 2005, I got a call from, from someone at the President Air Force saying, yes, yes, AJ, we hear you. And okay, we were going to invite you guys to come to Brasilia and let's talk about it. Let's talk about UFOs. We're going to show you what we have, and we're going to discuss with you, uh, your team of people, what is being uh, going on inside the Brazilian Air Force about this subject. And on May 20, 205, all the eight or seven or eight of us, all the Brazilian Committee of UFO Researchers, we went to Brasilia and we spent a whole morning from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. searching files at the Brazilian Airspace Defense Command, which is, uh, there was a war room, a war room over there, and we, we, we were received there. We could examine thousands of pages of documents that were over a table, 
and they said, you want to see this? Well, now you can see this, you can check it by yourself. But we were not allowed to make copies or to take anything of this to, with us or mm -hmm. to make photos of things like that. We were only allowed to examine this material while we were there. So it didn't satisfy us. It was a good move. A good step forward, right, yeah. So what we did, we continued our campaign because what we demanded was that this information was released. Now, we had a strategy, Victor, because, you see, we're not so naive that we're going to come to our military and say, hey, we want you guys to open everything. Mm -hmm. They do that. So we had a strategy, and this strategy was that we selected three cases, three milestone cases of UFOs in Brazil, of which we had, in each one of them, confirmed, documented involvement of the Brazilian Air Force or Army or Navy in the investigation of the of sightings, of uh, landings, of the UFO phenomenon in, in general. Right. So we have these three cases listed. Because if the government comes to us and say, well, we can help you because we don't have anything or we don't know anything about the cases that you are naming, mm -hmm. we're going to say, no, sir, you do. Because here are the files that leaked through some military time ago, and we can prove that the Brazilian military were involved in these three cases. So they cannot deny these three cases. This is why we need. We, we didn't ask for many other cases, mm -hmm. but these three cases, they, they were emblematic. If they gave us information about the three, the three cases, we will be very satisfied and we could move forward. That was the idea. One of the cases was the Operation Saucer in the Amazon in the 70s. The other one is what we call the official UFO night in Brazil that happened in 1986. When the 21, see Victor, 21, 300 meter in diameter UFOs were chased by seven jets from the Brazilian Air Force over Sao Paulo, Rio, and Brasilia. This is what we call the official UFO night in Brazil. It happened in 1986. And they were intercepted by jets, apparently. Isn't that what you said, too? Yes, by jets, yes. Mm. And the third case was, of course, the Virginia case that happened in the 90s, specifically in 1996. Now, uh, stepping uh, uh, back a little bit, we, we then, after this visit that we have, uh, that we did in Brasilia, we, we started going heavier in our campaign. We, we, let, it ha we let it rest for, for like, uh, we, we let it rest for like uh, six months or so, and then we, we got back heavy, asking for the government to release its files. And, and we went public through the media that we that gave us a lot of support. It's very good in Brazil. We have a lot of support from the media. And then in 2007, the government decides to start releasing the papers by decades. We first had the 50s and the 60s, then the 70s, then the 80s, and throughout the years, in 2007, 2008, 2009, we came to the to the eighties. So we already have from the from the fifties to the eighties. And two oh ten we have the nineties and later on 
the the papers for the years uh, 2000 to 2010. Mm -hmm. So it covers pretty much the last 60 years, uh, everything that, at least it's what the government wants us to believe, that it covers everything that was done about the subject, any investigation that was con uh, uh, conducted, uh, the reports that were produced from those investigations, etc. And, and, and it, it totalizes some almost 5,000 pages and some 500 photos including uh, reports of UFO landed with tripulants, occupants nearby, investigated by Brazilian Air Force. So it, it, it's a very good material, but, but we understand that 5,000 pages is not, not even 10% of mm -hmm. what we believe that the government has produced in the last six years. There has to be more. So do you, Our yeah, is that yeah. times bigger than that number. Yeah, so do you feel that you've got 5,000 pages, and I know Operation Saucer is something that I want to get into eventually, but before we do that, you just made a statement that the 5,000 pages that they do already have, that they've offered you. Now, how much more do you think they really have? Now, and then I, I guess on top of that question would be, you, you've talked to them about cases you already know about, your organizations are be that four or five, six cases, whatever it happens to be, and they know that you know. But then do you feel that there are some other very poignant cases that you may not be aware of that you are trying to get at through legal means from the government that, you, that, uh, that they know of that you, that you don't know of? Yes, in this 5,000 pages, we, we found out information about cases that we never heard of, that only the Brazilian Air Force knew of. I see. Uh, especially cases involving pilot sightings in, in flight. In flight. Now, uh, as to your first question, I do believe, I can't substantiate that with any evidence because we... We simply don't have the keys of the, the those files, but of, of course, I do yeah, yeah. That yeah. At least the government has ten thousand, ten thousand more. Excuse me, ten times more than what was released. We were given five thousand pages. I believe the government has at least ten times more than that. Now, and photos and videos and right. footage. Everything. Yeah, when when all of this happens, you know, just getting down to the basic essence of it, do you sit down at a table with with uh, a, a military officer or a military representative or a government representative? Do you sit down at a table with these people, exchange files? How does that actually happen? That 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 they actually release you and show you files? You sit there, exchange papers, or how does it actually happen? That was that was one of the greatest moments of my life. I can uh, imagine. Yes. Yeah. We, we, I mean, me and my colleagues at the Brazilian Committee of UFO Researchers all sitting at a table, uh, in one side of the table and the other side of this long table, there were several guys in uniforms, generals, brigadiers, and, and they were giving us a briefing about UFOs, how the government deals with it. Mm -hmm. We were inside the Brazilian Space Defense Command. We were, were we made the tour. We could see how they detect in the, the, the system 
the radar system that comprises the Brazilian Air Force Defense and Air Traffic Controlling, uh, which, is, uh, which is a very extent, uh, is, is a, a very complex thing. They show us how do they uh, detect UFOs. Uh, actually, we learned that the government, uh, the military in Brazil, call UFOs as traffic age, as hotel in aeronautics uh, uh, language, mm -hmm. traffic age. So you will see in the papers that they released, almost 5,000 pages, lots of mentions to traffic age. It's how they call it. It was a very, very interesting thing. But see, since that moment, we, we considered that the government did most of what it was expected from it. It came forward, it released papers, but this paper came only from the Brazilian Air Force. We also asked the military from the Navy and the Army to come forward and mm -hmm. complain about it, and they never did. Now, our campaign goes on on a different level and we are asking the Minister of Defense of Brazil, which is ahead, is one step above uh, the Army, the uh, mm -hmm. uh, Navy, and the uh, Air Force, right. to oh. determine that their commandant of these uh, this forces release all papers that they have, and that the Navy and the Army is starting doing the same. See, the Navy never released one single page of many that they have produced about UFO reports of UFOs uh, next to ships, military, warships, or or, or or Navy bases in so many places of the country. They well, this is, yeah, this is just a fascinating process. After the break, I, I, I do want to you know, examine that whole process with you because this is something that no UFO researcher in North America or even a, a, a political person within the UFO field has ever experienced before to sit table to table, nose to nose, you know, with people who've got this kind of information. And after the break, I think we, we want to examine this again and perhaps maybe get a little more deeply into Operation Saucer. Uh, so we're listening to A.J. Gavard here on The Conspiracy Show with some fascinating information about how the Brazilian government is relaying information to the general civilian public. So you know, stay with us. Uh, we'll be right back uh, after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. And welcome back. My name is Victor Vigiani, sitting in for Richard Serrett this wonderful Sunday evening. And uh, it's, a, it's a great place to be. I want to welcome some of our affiliates. We've got uh, several affiliates listening. I want to welcome in WIXI from... Birmingham, Alabama, and Huntsville, Alabama, WKAC, and in Phoenix, KVNA. So welcome to all of our listeners in those areas of North America. We're talking with A.J. Gavard, and uh, it's a very, it's a, just a big pleasure to listen to not only what A.J. has to say, but uh, the astounding information about how the government is cooperating with him and his organization about this. Um, AJ, what, what I'd like to do is maybe, if, if you could, just outline, there, there's one very specific 
uh, case that came up, um, I guess in the 70s, regarding Operation Saucer, where people were, were sort of accosted by strange balls of light that seemed to come from the sky or the, the water and the woods. Now, you know, A, this, this, this happened. Apparently, you know, it, it did occur. Now, how was this, first of all, how did it play out with the government and the military, and how did this information come to your, uh, come to your, um, the forefront of your investigations? Okay, okay. The Operation Saucer was an operation conducted by the Brazilian Air Force in the Amazon, specifically in an island called Colares, which is in the state of Pará, because something was going on in that island. Uh, it started on September 1977 and lasted four months until December 1977. And during these four months, a team of three dozen men commanded by Captain Uirangir Holanda, they investigated thoroughly UFOs in that big island, which is by the Amazon River, by the way. And it all started because the people live in that place, uh, as, uh, going back like two years before that, in, in 1975, the people were reporting being uh, attacked by strange balls of light, strange uh, beams of light that would come out of these spaceships that sometimes would come over the trees, sometimes would come over the rivers. But if the things get, uh, they got ugly in 1977, in the first six months of that year, making the, the local authorities to go talk to the Brazilian Air Force, which has a big base like 200 kilometers from the island because they realized that if it, they've been attacked by something that's coming by the air, so it must be something to be dealt with by the Brazilian Air Force. And these guys, the village uh, principals, they went to talk to the commander of that Brazilian Air Force field in the city of Belém, which puts together this team of men to investigate what was going on. It was called Operation Saucer. Now, I knew that, like 1982 or 83, and I tried to talk to Uiran Jolanda, the commander of the Operation Saucer, the captain of Uiran Jolanda, on several occasions. This was top secret in the Brazilian Air Force. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't receive me, he, Sometimes he, he would, and he would say only that he cannot speak about it. You have to wait a little longer, AJ. So that's what I did. Now, 20 years have passed. And in 1997, I was in a, in a Sunday night TV show in Brazil, which is very popular, seen by everyone in the country. And I was speaking about that subject. The, the, the Operation Saucer, of the information that I already had from some leakages that we have throughout the years, giving us information, giving us a, a few details of what happened during that four months operation in the Amazon. So we're, yeah, we're going to have to hold you there, AJ. Just we've got to take another break, but I'm just fascinated by where this conversation is going. So stay with us, and uh, after the break, we'll we'll continue with the description of Operation Saucer uh, from the Brazilian government. Stay with us.
Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. The measure of one's character is in how you treat the world when no one is watching. Actions without accolades. Kindness without reward. Giving hope to those who have nothing to give you in return. The new AM740 is asking you to find the measure of your character by giving this holiday season to the fourth annual Holiday Hope Fund in support of the Scott Mission. Through your donation, we can help provide food, clothing, shelter, and toys for the men, women, and children of Toronto. This is the holiday season. And these are their darkest days. But where there is hope, there is light. To make a cash, check, or credit card donation to the Holiday Hope Fund, call 416-923-2400. You can also donate online at scottmission.com. The Holiday Hope Fund, from the station that cares about our community, the new AM740. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. My name is Victor Vigiani, sitting in for Richard Serrett this evening on The Conspiracy Show. We're talking with A.J. Gavard, UFO researcher from Brazil, and we're right in the middle of a conversation about Operation Saucer, where the Brazilian government was actually investigating uh, balls of light that were attacking uh, civilians. So, uh, A.J., let's continue with that, but and, and uh, keeping in mind that I do want to, after your description, uh, talk uh, to you a little bit about the big conference you've got coming up. So let's finish off describing this absolutely fascinating situation where civilians were accosted by you know, so-called beams of light from, from UFOs. Yes, and this beam of light, or the, these UFOs, this type of UFOs, would be called suck, suck phenomena, because it was believed by people that this beam of light would, was ex, were extracting people's blood, and they, were, they actually were extracting people's blood. They become anemic. But see, uh, stepping back a few minutes ago, uh, uh, in, in, in 1997, I was in this TV show speaking about it with the very little information that I had about it, uh, uh, from leakages of documents of the Operation Saucer and, and William Jolanda, the captain of Orangelanda, the commander of the Operation Saucer, was watching this show. And on Monday morning, he calls me and says, Hey, AJ, it's, it's Olanda. Remember me? You say, Sure, sure. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm fine, and I'm going to tell you that I have no longer any connection with the Brazilian Air Force, I am retired. And now, if you want to listen to what I have to say, 
you're welcome to come to my place. I my... couldn't speak with you about it on on nineteen a on the eighties when you looked for for me, but now I can. And I went to talk to him, and I interviewed him for two days. And what that man described to me and to my associate uh, Marco Antonio Petit was just astounding. Victor, that man gave us the whole job. He gave us all the information that we wanted about how the operation source was developed from the beginning to the end. He told us that he and his team, three dozen men, during four months, doing surveillance in the island with portable radars and all sorts of equipment. They made 2,000 pages of documents about it. They made 500 pictures of UFOs and 16 hours of footage and, and formats uh, super 8 millimeters and super 60 millimeters of UFOs over the Amazon River. Isn't that something? This just sounds like an absolute cascade, a waterfall of, 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 of incidents that uh, it, it seems like it, it was hard to keep these things from, from stopping uh, what they were doing. It, it, uh, now, when you say that people were actually, yeah, it, when, you, when you say that people were, were, were harmed by this, was there any kind of medical um, investigation or assessment of, of what they went through in terms of examining their bodies and, and sort of determining what kind of uh, physiological uh, things they went through? Yes. Both the military that came to the island under the command of Willard Jolanda, they had uh, some uh, doctors or uh, health personnel, paramedics, to take care of the victims. But, and this is a very important thing to substantiate the whole thing about the Operation Saucer and the success phenomenon. The, in the health unity of the island, there was a doctor in her first job as a doctor after she finished uh, the, the, the college, med, medicine college, mm -hmm. and she was Dr. Velaidi Sesim. This woman, in his first assignment as a doctor in that island, taking care of the people, would start seeing patients coming with burns in their upper part of their arms or in the shoulder, one after another, after another, after another. And she was very concerned because these were very profound ones, like burn ones. She told me, as I interviewed her several times, she's my friend now, and she's over the Facebook, Velaide, I can spell the name so you can talk to her directly. Mm -hmm. She's a person, now uh, she's still a doctor and a, and a professor at some university in, in Belém. And she told that when she received those patients, she was uh, very concerned and also surprised to see that the burns that were produced like three hours ago looked like they were made three days ago. The, mm. the flash coming off the body of the victims. Now, I have interviewed several of the victims myself, and they, and they report that their vital, vital energy was also taken by those beams of light that came from the UFOs. They say that they could never regain the energy that they had before 
they were attacked. Isn't that something? That's in some of these people are still alive and living in that island. I'm going again there to Colaris in January with a team of the History Channel. We're going to perform interviews with these people again and and see how they are doing. But you know, I, I, for the last past two years, I have gone there and speak to, spoken to them, and they always report the same thing. I have never recuperated, recovered. I have never recovered the same energy that I had before. Is the, so you, so that, you're going to do a, a, a documentary with the History Channel about this in January? In January. My goodness. See, the Velaide, the do, Dr. Velaide also mm -hmm. uh, found out through the, the medical sheets of the of the patients that in fact they missed blood they lost blood during the attacks that confirmed what the people thought of what uh, the attacks were right these balls of light were extracting blood from them not only blood but also energy but the blood issue could be confirmed through the medical sheets that uh, she had on file of these same patients, confirming that they have less blood in their systems. So I guess, uh, is there, just to be a devil's advocate here, is there any other ex possible explanation for what these people were exposed to? I mean, you know, we're sitting here talking about them being accosted by so-called UFOs or, you know, extraterrestrial vehicles, off-world vehicles. Is there any other explanation as to what might have happened other than the ET explanation? Yeah, well, some people have attempted to other explanation, but that's none that fit in the description. And right. besides, this phenomena was going on while a team of three dozen men from the Brazilian Air Force, some of them very well trained, mm -hmm. were there. And they documented the phenomenon through photos, through films and everything. But the best is yet to come on December Early December 1977, Wiran Jolanda, Captain Wiran Jolanda, and one of his men were in a boat in the other part of the island, and they saw a landing of a huge cylinder UFO, like 350, uh, 300 meters long, landing, almost landing, didn't touch ground, but almost did. Right. On the other side of the river, they were navigating. And they stopped the boat, start looking at that big thing just in front of them, like a, like a building, as tall as a building. And a door was open in the upper part of this uh, spacecraft. And a being, a humanoid being, came out of this door and, and flying. As there was no gravity nor nothing, he came down 300 feet from the top of that object to the level of the, of the uh, uh, river water, almost at the same height as the military that were inside this boat, with, which at this point were standing in the boat, and the, the, this creature the occupant of the UFOs was 
no more than three feet, 30 feet uh, from them, and they exchanged uh, eyesights, but they didn't talk, they didn't greet, they didn't communicate telepathically, nothing. It was just exchange of signs. They sought each other, and then the occupant of the UFO flew back to the same door that was left open in the upper part of this object, entered that, the door was closed, and the UFO very slowly took off. And when it was at a certain high, then it just accelerated strongly and disappeared. Well, that, so, that, that's an absolutely phenomenal uh, encounter of a story. I, these kinds of things that, you know, when I hear them, and, and as a researcher myself uh, who investigates it, it's very difficult to internalize all of this stuff. Now, uh, let, let just very quickly, we've got just a few minutes left here, um, and uh, we, we do want you to follow up with us, AJ, please. Uh, let's stay in touch with, uh, with your investigation in January about the, uh, the case on, on the island uh, with the, the individuals who were, were exposed to these beams of light. I would love to follow up with that with you. But now, I understand that you have a big conference coming up. Just very briefly, in the next uh, two, two minutes or so, could you outline what the conference is all about and what your intentions are and where you're going with the conference? We're doing in the city of Iguaçu Falls, which is a touristic and very nice place in Brazil, the fourth World UFO Forum, or the first uh, UFO Summit of the Americas. We're going to receive 15 lecturers from 15 different countries, plus a, a, a numerous uh, of Brazilian UFO researchers and speakers. And that will be another step of our campaign, UFOs, Freedom of Information Now. And at this moment, we will issue the FOSS do Iguaçu or Iguaçu Falls letter to the Ministry of Defense of Brazil, asking that all the files be available to the public and asking that he fulfills the promise made by the commander of the Brazilian Air Force in 205 and finally establish a committee for investigation of the UFO phenomena composed by both civilian, the UFO researchers, and military. We want to get together the structure, the infrastructure of the Brazilian Air Force, which is big, with the talent of so many UFO researchers in Brazil that are willing to cooperate with the Brazilian Air Force to investigate this phenomenon. And you, guess what? The Brazilian Air Force commander will send a representative to our conference. He, he will be part of it. We're going to have a captain from the Brazilian Air Force <laughs> be part of our world UFO forum. Isn't that, that great? That, that is absolutely astounding, and I congratulate you on your efforts because here in North America, you know, we're struggling with the media, we're struggling with government, but I must uh, send you uh, the best accolades that I possibly can for the kinds of work that you're doing, not only, you know, with the military and the government, but please pursue it with the military uh, and, and the media so that we up here in, in, in North America can benefit from the media coverage that you guys are getting. So uh, thank you very, very much, AJ, for joining us this evening. And uh, we do want to follow up with you. Uh, congratulations on your work. And we do hope that your, uh, your conference coming up uh, is a successful one. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you very much for being with us, AJ. 
Thank you for the opportunity, Victoria. Whenever you need, I'm here at your service, sir. And always with the fresh information about Brazilian ufology. And sure, just after the conference, so let's say generally, let's sure. see again. What, okay. What Thank you, my time. friend. Good night now. You are listening to The Conspiracy Show, and my name is Victor Vigiani, sitting in for Richard Serrett. Don't forget, for upcoming show information, please visit richardserrett.com or say hello to Richard on Twitter at twitter.com slash richardserrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Hello and welcome to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Victor Vigiani, sitting in for Richard Serrett tonight. He's off on a well-deserved rest. I'm not sure if he's driving towards Kitchener or taking a a plane to Greece. Not quite sure, but he is earning a well-deserved rest. This evening, we are going to be talking government and UFOs. It's a, um, it's a long road when you talk about disclosure. It really is. Uh, we look at disclosure as being something that will open up the gates to the information about the extraterrestrial phenomenon that's engaging the planet. We're not sure exactly what it is. I thought I knew what it was and what it might be, but after 35 years in this field, I've come to the conclusion that I'm not quite sure. And I have a lot of questions about it, what it might mean, not only in the past, what it might have meant back then, or what it means now. But I'm even more confused about what it might mean in the future. And tonight we've got a guest on who is uh, going to help us through that. And he's been around quite a while, and he has a, a certain acuity about this information, and his name is Stephen G. Bassett. He's the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group. And Stephen is an exopolitical activist and a leading advocate for ending the 65-year-old government-imposed truth embargo regarding the extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He is the, as I said, the executive director of PRG, which will produce a citizen's hearing on disclosure in the year 2013 and Stephen has spoken to audiences all over the planet about the implications of formal disclosure of the extraterrestrial presence and his advocacy work has been exclusively and extensively covered by media all over the world both nationally and internationally so we welcome Stephen G. Bassett to the conspiracy show Stephen good evening uh, Victor, it's great to be with you. Just great to hear your voice again, my friend. And uh, uh, it looks like we've got a lot going on coming up. Um, I, pardon me if I we delay a little bit of talk about the citizen hearings um, for for just a few moments. What I'd like to do is 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 reintroduce you to some of our our um, our uh, I guess listeners who have come on board from many many different affiliates that we've um, gained throughout the United States and Canada we've got uh, about eight affiliates that have come come on board in New York Alabama uh, North Carolina uh, Phoenix Arizona and I'd I'd like to sort of um, just 
very briefly, Stephen, just encapsulate initially how you got involved in this and what you what you did to begin uh, PRG and all of the work that you've done uh, in the past leading up to the present. I know that's a, a big mouthful, but just summarize it as best you can. Yes, sir. Okay, it doesn't mean this. You're right. I got a mouth. Thanks. You're still with us, Stephen. Yes, uh, forgive me. Uh, I had taken my, my I had taken my phone off the uh, the mount that I have, and a uh, fine policeman, a LA, LA policeman, uh, just informed me that that is not something you're allowed to do. So, um, I uh, put it back in. So, forgive the interruption. Okay, can you continue, or shall we call you back? No, no, no. I, I have it back on the mount, and I'm driving nice and slow. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I, uh, I haven't been stopped for that, and I've been pretty careful, but I got a little carried away. So I, I, I obey the law. I don't, I don't play around with the L.A. police. Whatever they say to do, I do it. So uh, you, you, wanted, you wanted to, um, um, uh, to kind of give a, your, your, your new listeners a sense of what PRG work has been about. Yeah, just just sort of an outline of where you've uh, started and how things got going, and because it's such a big movement, you've 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 moved along so well over the past, uh, my goodness, uh, ten or fifteen years now. Uh, how it started, uh, you know, and the kinds of things that you initially sought to uh, to try to to try to work with, and now where you're at right now. Yes. Um, look, it, it, it's 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 not complicated if you uh, boil it down to just a few things. The United States government made a decision that it would withhold a formal acknowledgement of the ET presence from the American people. And it would do it because of national security reasons. These decisions were made during the Truman administration, right after the war. Uh, they were certainly endorsed by the Eisenhower administration. And that decision still remains in place. For many years, it was called the UFO cover-up. Uh, I was never comfortable with that term, and I worked to change that to truth embargo. Not UFO truth embargo, ET truth embargo. And it is the goal of the advocacy movement to change that policy, to end that embargo, and affect the announcement of this ET presence by the world governments, obviously including the United States. It is really that simple. The goal of the disclosure or advocacy movement is not to explain every component of the ET reality, to uh, suss out every theory that's been put forward, uh, to explain the ET agenda, and a thousand other things. Uh, that is going to take a lot of time and a lot of work, uh, particularly once we have access to the government-held information. and. Uh, is, is down the line. Some people get confused. They think that the disclosure movement is going to tell them all the truths about the ET reality. No, it's not. It's designed to do one thing, and that is to get the United States government and other governments to acknowledge the ET presence as a reality and stop the policy of denial and intervention in, in the process of understanding. So each uh, paradigm research group has been working toward that goal 16 years. I didn't think it would take that long, Victor, but it's not 
impossible if you look at the history since 1992 to mm -hmm. understand why 20 years after the end of the Cold War, alas, we still don't have disclosure. Um, but we don't. Nevertheless, it's coming. And barring anything profoundly dramatic happening in the world, something extraordinarily disruptive, uh, I have a strong feeling that next year could be it. Uh, I would be a little surprised if be a lot surprised if the truth embargo could uh, withstand uh, six to nine more months of the onslaught that it is dealing with right now. Well, you you speak of of what um, in one interview that I. Uh, recall uh, listen to you about you speak of a, a bell curve of evidence uh, indicating different kinds of evidence ranging from the absolute prosaic uh, kinds of information in terms of sightings yeah. and so on to the highly exotic reports of you know of you know multiple groups dealing with human beings so you've got a whole range of um, of evidence ranging from the simple to the complex um, how does that fit into uh, attempted to, A, explain what the whole UFO issue is all about, and then moving forward to, to say exactly what you just said, well, we, we, we can't deal with all of the minutiae. We have to deal with the reality of whatever is interacting with us from off-planet. Uh, the, the way to, to look at our present circumstance uh, is, as I described it to you and as you correctly uh, recalled, an enormous amount of information has been gathered uh, since 1947. The, the quality and scope of this information was limited by the fact that uh, the truth embargo was in place and the government was doing what it can to ensure that research organizations, colleges, universities, granting institutions would not engage it, wouldn't provide funding for it, wouldn't teach it in the schools. They certainly did what they could to uh, 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 keep the media from from uh, taking the issue to a, a level that would threaten the policy of embargo. Uh, and, of course, they weren't revealing to the general public what they had learned. So this information, therefore, was uh, uh, limited, flawed. But it was it was Ameri the American people and, and other and other uh, citizens of other nations doing the best they could to try to understand what they what they what they were seeing with their own eyes. So they formed organizations like APRO and NICAP and ultimately MUFON and many others. They did their own field investigation. They started their own magazines and journals. They did what they could, but all along the government was moving to block, undermine, obfuscate, and misinform. Um. So. Not surprisingly, 65 years later, what we have is a, a very complex and difficult matrix of information to assess. It's, it's not like looking at the status of, say, quantum physics, mm -hmm. where you're looking at a highly developed science with thousands and thousands of peer-reviewed papers that have built up a matrix of information that has been vetted and reviewed, studied and written about, heavily funded with billions of dollars. And so when you, when you look at the, the status of quantum uh, physics, you can get a pretty good sense that what we know is strong information and what we don't know is, is well outlined, and we're moving forward and making enormous strides in understanding the quantum nature of the universe, as it should be. Mm -hmm. That is not the case with the ET issue. The body of evidence is, of course, flawed, full of holes, full of disinformation in many cases, and, of course, underfunded, 
uh, developed by people that necessarily don't have extraordinary skills in those areas. And so what you have to do is you have to create a bell curve. Uh, and, uh, and, and the center of that curve is the best possible evidence out there, the stuff that really holds up very, very well, has been corroborated uh, uh, numerous times, witnesses that are particularly strong with well, well-known backgrounds and so forth. And then as you move away from the center of the curve, uh, and most people know what a bell curve is. It's mm-hmm. kind of a hump, and then the sides mm-hmm. slope down towards uh, asymptotically towards the baseline. The the evidence becomes more problematic. Uh, it, the probability of it being true drops off, and and uh, you have to sort of assess it that way and assign it that way. And so you may hear some theory and and read something on the net, and and if you're you're trying hard, you'll, you'll say, look, I give that about a 5% chance of being true. Right. On the other hand, you'll hear something else and go, wow, I feel very strongly that that is very likely true, and I've, and I've seen cooperation and so forth. And so you kind of work with this bell curve. This is awkward. It's not ideal. And consequently, everyone is always, you know, people will have their own assessments of, of certain evidence, and, and one person will consider something a fact, and another person will consider it ludicrous. Mm-hmm. And it makes for a very messy, slow process. That is just the hand we've been dealt. Okay. That is the consequence of the truth embargo, and we're doing the best we can to uh, to work with that hand that okay. we were dealt. Let, 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 let's hold it there, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, let's hold yeah. it there for a second, Steve. We can take a break here. Yeah, we're talking to Stephen G. Bassett, uh, Executive Director of the uh, Paradigm Research Group, and uh, you're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Yeah, stay right there. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome back. My name is Victor Vigiani, sitting in for Richard Serrett uh, this evening. Richard's on a well-deserved break and a bit of a rest. Um, This show goes far and wide, and we've, uh, here on The Conspiracy Show, been able to gain many, many new friends over the past several months, and we would like to say hello to our new friends in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, WIMO-AM radio, and also WBNR-AM 1260 in Beacon, New York, and in Kingston, New York, WGHQ-AM 920, and also in Peekskill, New York, uh, on WLNA-AM 1420. So, Hello to all of our friends in those areas, and we hope that you are enjoying the show. We're talking to Stephen G. Bassett this evening. He is the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, a group um, necessarily and objectly (laughs) completely dedicated towards the disclosure of the UFO phenomenon uh, as acknowledged by the government. And we're trying to, I guess, assimilate the information and, and try to understand the big issues from the small issues and the kinds of issues that will eventually make this thing crack through the truth embargo, as Stephen G. Bassett describes it. Yeah, Stephen, you, you were talking about uh, earlier, you and I were just looking at the bell curve. And as I know the bell curve, uh, you've got uh, you know the, the high middle and you've got the low ends on both sides. And uh, right. you know, on one side, you've got you know, some kinds of, uh, of, you've got the low end and you've got the high end on the other side. Uh, what, what do you feel are the major issues, be they you know, sightings, be they government documents, be they the black budgets, be they surveillance systems, be they CIA? Where do you feel some of these big issues or what are some of the big issues that you feel just might make sure that this thing gets eventually cracked open for you? 
That's a, it's a tough that, question, I know, but you're there, and that's why we're it, talking to you. <laughs> don't don't try to slice it up that way. No. Um, the um, let, let's let's convert the bell curve into another metaphor. Okay. Let's let's imagine it's a magma chamber, and that hump in the bell curve is represents a building uh, chamber of, of hot magma driven up from the center of the earth. Okay. And as the, as the quality evidence continues to amass in that chamber, it's pushing up, pushing up, and eventually it breaks, breaks through. And, and that, that's the end of the truth embargo. It's the sum in total of all of the evidence, information, and public awareness, and the, dis- the small-D disclosure process that's been going on for all these years, building, 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 until finally the, the crust, I guess you could say, of, of uh, constraint, um, societal peer pressure, and of course the government and truth embargo policy simply can't contain it any longer. It just explodes. You have like a volcano of truth, and that's that's the, that's the way to look at it. And and um, uh, the evidence on the uh, uh, to the left and the right of the curve that's less uh, sub- substantive is mm-hmm. going to have less impact. It's the good stuff in the middle, um, and that's accumulating all the time. The um, the trigger mechanism, though, I think, will probably be the media. I think that the government is so tied up on this issue that without significant outside pressure, it's going to just keep putting it off and putting it off, as it's doing with many other issues. And this is true of the United States, and I think it's true of some other countries as well. And that pressure is going to be a media storm. It's not going to be a lot of letters to the Congress or the President. It's not going to be uh, demonstrations. It's going to be a media storm. This, this, the truth embargo is very, very vulnerable. It's weak. The rationale for it is really eroded. The logic of the denials is offensive, if not insulting, to the intelligence of any reasonable person. Uh, in uh, October of last year, the, the White House put out a written statement, the first time ever, uh, about the ET issue in which it remarkably stated there was no evidence at all for any life outside the planet or any, any engagement of the planet by life, by intelligent life, and, and, and even more, that there's no evidence whatsoever. I mean, whatsoever that the government has hidden anything from the people. This is such a remarkable statement that I, that, and it was a gift, of course, to the advocacy movement that... Um, I wonder even to this day if the Obama administration didn't deliberately do that, knowing full well that it would probably advance the disclosure process, motivate us to come at them, motivate us to push forward, but without acknowledging anything. In other words, they take the hard line, the ultra-hard line, and that actually helps us. So they might have been giving us a, a present there intentionally. I don't know. Maybe one day we'll find out. But that that was issued... October of last year. Mm-hmm. In the petition, right? Uh, yeah, well, it was the response to the first disclosure petition that mm-hmm. PRG submitted to the White House We the People Project. So, again, the bell curve is pressing up underneath these constraints. This magma chamber is going to give it any time. I don't think it'll last through next year. Um, and that brings us to the citizen hearing, and, and, and this is cool because we'll make a I'll, I'll kind of show you how these the dynamics uh, that I've just discussed come together beautifully, and, and that's part of the chess game that we're playing with the government, which I think we're starting to win. 
what DRG is is about to do after many years of trying to make this happen, it was just it couldn't get the funding for it. Originally conceived this in 2000, very late 2000 or 2001. A website went up uh, a while later, was up for a number of years. Nothing happened. Couldn't get any funding. Eventually, I sort of shelved that website, took all the external links to it from my sites out, and I then proceeded in the background to try to fund the project in a different way. And 19 months after starting that, that effort, we have succeeded. What did we do? We took the concept of the citizen hearing, and rather than trying to fund it with an outright grant of 300000 we built it into a documentary project in which a theatrical quality documentary would be built around the citizen hearing with additional material and narrative uh, with a budget of about $1.1 million and went out and funded that. And just recently we got full funding for the project of $1.1 million. So that allows the citizen hearing to go forward. That is a great blessing. It is the... Uh, uh, the, the sum and bonum of, of PRG's advocacy to date, without question. And this is it. Um, it was announced. There's just an announcement out now. There's an announcement site up, uh, one page announcement site up at Citizen Hearing. That's singular. CitizenHearing.org, uh, where you can get, you can see the the date, the time, and location, all that. But the main website for this will not go up until early January. But what is stated there is simply this: that. For five days, from April 29 to May 3, PRG is going to bring in to Washington, D.C., 40 of the strongest witnesses out there on disclosure that, that, that can address the issue of disclosure. Many of these will be government agency witnesses with first-hand or powerful second-hand uh, testimony regarding events and evidence uh, surrounding the ET reality. It will be the largest concentration of high-level witnesses ever brought Together. It will go on for five days, and there will be 30 hours of testimony and Q&A in the main ballroom of the press club, which will be configured to look as much like a Senate hearing room as possible, using the Senate Hart Senate hearing room as a model. And this testimony will be presented to five former members of the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate, who will be there to, to conduct this hearing exactly as if as possible, as if it was a real Senate hearing. Um, the protocols, the procedures, everything will be uh, designed to mimic a real Senate hearing. And this testimony will be filmed from every possible angle by the documentary team in both 3D and 2D. And the entire 30 hours of test, actually 40 hours, because you know, there will be things going on during the breaks, will be live streamed to the world over the Internet. That gives you a sense of the scope of this. Uh, let me go further. The, there will be simultaneous headphone translation in at least three languages, French, Spanish, and Portuguese, and possibly Russian, so that we will not have a language barrier to uh, witnesses coming in. In other words, we may have a very strong witness out there, but they do not have command of English. We will then providing simultaneous translation to the 300 audience that will be able to, to, to attend this, if they wish, and of course to the, the live stream audience around the world. It is and will be the largest disclosure event ever held. 
and it's my view that it will be so strong that it will reach what, what you could think of as a critical mass and generate a uh, reaction. My sense is that, yeah, the, 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 yeah the, the individuals that you're going to be having come forward, the witnesses, that, that's one thing. Uh, let, let, can we just spend a moment on the, um, the, the, the Senate people or the, 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 the citizen hearing group that will receive the testimony? A, right. where did you get them from? Uh, can you name names yet or their positions uh, and their recept- level of receptivity about, about this? And how did you come about? All of that is going to be put together, Victor, over the next weeks and even two months. Uh, I won't be able to discuss any names of course. until they are formally on board. But there are, I, I estimate, I, I don't know the exact number, there may be 2,000 former members of the House and Senate out there mm-hmm. right now. So I'm not really concerned about finding five that will want to participate in this. Right. I can't say this, that they're not going to be selected on some personal, favorable personal view on the ET issue. Not at all. Okay. Um, I think I am going to be looking for former members who have committee experience on what I would consider strong, strongly relevant committees, like armed services, intelligence, uh, NASA space. Um, these kind of committees uh, would be uh, would be nice. Uh, so we're going to be looking for people with that with that kind of background that that served on those kind of committees. Uh, because their knowledge base is, is helpful, but they will be coming in to 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 act as the as as the role of information gatherer within the within the congressional hearing process, which is what hearings are for. They have become kabuki theater. They've become overly scripted and predictable, and there's too much advance screening, and the whole thing becomes like a partisan show where you set up this hearing, and then one side presses their case, and the right. other side presses their case, and the witnesses are almost irrelevant. And that's another reason why Congress has become ineffective and, and people have lost confidence in it. Uh, we're not going to be doing that. Uh, the, 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 what, what a congressional hearing is supposed to do is to bring out information that would be useful not only to the Senate and House of Representatives members to... Uh, uh, make decisions about legislation, uh, but also inform their constituents, who then could inform them about what they think about what they ought to do regarding legislation based on that information. Because under the hearing process, people are brought in, and they, they are required to testify to facts, the relevant facts regarding the hearing under oath. Would you entertain a possibility? Yeah. Would you entertain a possibility within those hearings that members of the public who have a certain uh, vested interest or even interest in, in this as a as a just as a person within the within the American framework to come forward and, and make demands uh, from the people that are sort of heading the hearings? No, I I, I don't know. Uh, I I, uh, I will say that this event is so powerful that. It's, it, it's very possible between now and April the 29th, we may see some of the real opponents of disclosure, of the disclosure process, step out from out of the shadows into the light mm-hmm. um, uh, or out from behind false faces and exercise, I guess, their uh, right of free speech and uh, action to hinder or thwart 
this process. It would not surprise me, but whatever, it's going to happen regardless. Um, I, I just, yeah, I just uh, find it difficult to believe that anyone could come forward and say, "No, I don't want any open discourse about any issue at all." I just find that a very undemocratic no, they would, way. They wouldn't do that. Yeah. What they would do is just create problems. I mean, mm-hmm. they would they would just start creating problems for the for the event for the process for PRG to either slow it down or undermine it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going to be looking for that very carefully. But I I wouldn't be surprised because this this thing is a big deal, and this is the kind of thing that. In other words, the opponents of disclosure, if you're doing something that really can impact disclosure, you don't care. But when you actually get something that's uh, capable of, of shifting the paradigm, then that, that's when they, they would likely turn up. So we'll see about that. But um, um, one of the things that really excites me as we move toward this this citizen hearing, which could, could we, yeah, yeah. Steve, disclosure. Yeah, Steve, could we get back to that just after the break here? I, I, yeah, sure. The thing that excites you? Yeah, okay, let's just take a break here, and we'll come back with Stephen G. Bassett, Executive Director of the Paradigm Research Group. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. I do believe that disclosure will trigger very possibly the greatest era of reform in history because of the, the fact that the world's attention will suddenly be focused pretty much in the same direction. And then everything sort of is tossed up in the air. Everything goes on the table suddenly, which happens once in a while. And you're going to see literally a systemic, I think, spectral uh, reform that will be staggering in its, uh, in its size and scope. Now, will it lead us to wonderful things? Will it all work out? I don't know. But I know that the opportunity is there. That is the voice of Stephen G. Bassett, Executive Director of the Paradigm Research Group. And we are fortunate enough to have him on the line from Los Angeles, California. And just before the break, Steve, you mentioned uh, what excites you about this. Um, I just want to inject something here that excites me about it, because uh, you mention in many of your interviews the, the, um, the concept of the secret empire and the, the classified reality that uh, the Washington Post, I think, sort of alluded to with the number of people that are entering into this the secretive clearance aspect of all of this, the top, exceeding one million people. And you also talk about yeah. the, the black ops world, and you talk about surveillance systems and underground facilities and ETs among us. All of this stuff, quote-unquote stuff, um, is going to come out at some point. So how, how do you plan to, um, to, 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 to step into all of that or step around it or address it head-on in addition to uh, extending your, your idea about what excites you about this? It's a, it's, a, it's a mouthful of a question, but I know you're, you're good enough to answer both parts. Well, I, 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 it's not going to be me, per se, not just simply me dealing with that. The whole world is going to address the uh, the the big picture, or uh, as it unfolds in the post-disclosure world, and we're going to learn a great deal about a great deal. Uh, and uh, I believe the uh, an age of reform will be triggered that will be rather remarkable. But the entire world will be involved. I mean, PRG will certainly want to be uh, part of the that engagement, and I have ideas for how I'd like to 
operate in the in the post disclosure world and things I like to do and you know, I'm building up some relationships and and maybe the groundwork for some organizations that would operate in the post disclosure world, but that's just one small part of what would be a global engagement. Um, so and again we could we, as you say, we could we could, and, and and have done many shows on the subject of the post disclosure world, but it's a that's a huge, vast subject. Uh, it's fascinating to be sure and worthy of lots of debates and discussions on university campuses should universities not have their uh, hands tied by their their government uh, mm-hmm. and, and unwilling to address this issue with a very, very rare exception, which is an intellectual uh, tragedy uh, and uh, a scandal, really. But these things happen, and they've happened before. Uh, but going into the uh, citizen hearing on disclosure, between now and April 29, what really has me excited is this. I'm fairly confident that there are many scores, more likely hundreds, of high-level witnesses who are by and large retired from either the military, the uh, intelligence community, or political life who have significant information relevant to the extraterrestrial presence, and they have been sitting on the fence for years, unable to make the decision to come forward because they did not see a venue that was strong enough, comfortable enough for them to step into. And so they have simply remained on the fence. And my hunch is, is that as the word gets out, as this thing shapes up, um, that some of these individuals who may be very well known with irrefutable credentials may decide this is the venue, and they may approach PRG and say, I'm interested in, in testifying at this citizen hearing. If that happens, then the event will be taken to another level. But even without that, uh, the goal of the event is to create a chain reaction in the media by bringing enough testimony together and enough witnesses over a long period of time and create, again, that critical mass. Uh, and the dynamic that I was referring to works out beautifully because what you will have during those days, leading you know, the, the days leading up to and immediately after the citizen hearing, is... On the one hand, you will have the White House statement of October 22nd that has been, you know, it's sitting on the White House website now. I mean, you can go to whitehouse.gov, go to We the People, check the uh, responses, and then look for the response to the disclosure petition. Yeah, the no evidence. The, yeah, the no evidence statement. And you can read it. It's right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Okay, it's been Steve. Up there for yeah. a year. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's take a very quick break here because I do want to come back. We've got. Uh, about 15 or 20 minutes left. We're talking with uh, Stephen G. Bassett, Executive Director of the Paradigm Research Group, about his citizens' hearing process or exposure that he's going to be, uh, I guess, providing a, a conference for people to come forward and talk. And uh, it sounds like a very, very uh, interesting enterprise, and we know that it's, it could very well be the backbreaker Uh, about the the truth embargo. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. 
Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Victor Vigiani, sitting in for Richard Serrett tonight, and it's great to have you with us. Um, we're talking with Stephen G. Bassett here on the radio from, I think you're, he's in L.A., uh, someplace either on the side of the road or in a nice, comfortable place. Not exactly sure where, but uh, the signal has uh, really gotten nice and clear, and uh, it's great to talk to Stephen. Um, he, we're, we're talking about the Citizens Hearing Conferences coming up in, in April, and we do have one caller on the line that I'd like to bring in here, uh, Michael from Thornhill. Michael, you're on the, uh, the Conspiracy Show. Hello. Good evening, Stephen. Victor? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen, I, I, um, I'm one of the people that have been signing your petitions, and um, I, I sign them voluntarily, but, but I, have, I do have concerns because of what I personally experienced, and uh, what you're proposing is very straightforward to the people. I agree. But but I wonder if it's too much too fast. I mean, yeah, I know that UFOs exist. I had an experience with them that lasted close to 15 minutes, and my God, the, the Air Force showed up, did low-flow flybys. <laughs> this was no little, little light in, in the night sky. And uh, it affected me very deeply. I mean, this this was not a, a two-minute or a two-second sighting. And this was almost 15 minutes, and it affected me to the point where, well, I can actually say it changed my life. And I think that's a little harsh on anybody to have their life changed within 15 minutes. And... Uh, I'm aware of this place called Hesdalen in Norway, where they've been studying phenomena that bounces off radar and can be seen with the naked eye, can be recorded at speeds that go to the thousands, if not tens of thousands, I believe they said tens of thousands of miles or kilometers per hour within an instant. So this phenomenon exists, and it's been documented. I I totally agree with Hesdalen and with my own senses. I, I know what I saw. Yeah. So Michael, I guess you're saying that you're you're a little troubled by the the suddenness or the the the, the largest of the. Um of the of the disclosure and it, it may be too fast i guess Stephen, how do you feel that some people may react to this whole disclosure as something being a little bit too much too soon how do you react to that steve well i'll be very frank um the last 65 years it's been too little too slow we're way behind the curve um, the fact is that i've talked with scores of contactees and I believe there are millions of contactees out there who've had experiences, in some cases, going on their whole life since they were a child. And yeah, it's traumatic. Uh, it can be traumatic. Certainly it's life-changing. And, but it's even more difficult to deal with when the government that you are living under and pay for are denying that anything is going on at all. Mm-hmm. And so disclosure is going to make it easier for those that are having these experiences, not worse. 
Uh, it's going to make it easier for them to talk about it. It's going to make it possible to start investigating the phenomena. It may even bring an end to to contact, which is not consensual. Right. So I'm afraid that uh, yeah. must, uh, you must know, quite simply disagree and feel that not only disclosure needs to happen, not right. On another tangent, yeah, another tangent completely. Yeah, Steve, on another tangent completely, um, let's look at, just for a second here, through just a bit of, a few different lenses here for a second. What's going on in the Middle East right now with the, the Palestinian situation and uh, I guess their, uh, you know, the difficulties that are going on there in, the, in Gaza, in, in Syria, and all of the, the I guess, the, like the, the millennia-long uh, dysfunction that's going on in that part of the world. And then you take a look at, at other parts uh, in terms of, you know, the repression of, of civil rights in China and all the number of geopolitical issues that are going on on the planet. And, you, 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 you know, there's so many going on, you really can't describe them all. When you take a look at the lens of disclosure and if you put, you put that lens over all of those geopolitical situations that are going on, uh, do, do you sense that those kinds of situations will become will, will become a back seat? Will they be looked at differently? Will people shake their heads and say, listen, we have to pay attention to these other realities? How do you see all of those other situations resolving or being interpreted through the lens of disclosure, as powerful as it will be? Well, the answer to your question is yes. But... It would take several hundred books to describe how disclosure would affect the geopolitical realities of the planet Earth circa 2013. Probably several hundred more to describe or at least try to uh, calculate or, or, or theorize as to mm-hmm. the impact of the, of the process itself leading up to disclosure. Um, let's simplify it. There are a lot of problems in the world. There always have been problems in the world. And the human race has dealt with them under a certain worldview, a collective worldview, a paradigm. And we've seen where it's led us. Um, So we have a choice. We can continue to have these problems and deal with them the way we've been dealing with everything in the past uh, and reap the consequences because it's pretty predictable where things are going under the current paradigm and worldview with respect to the, the issues that you've raised and a million others. Mm-hmm. Or we can, we can do what may ha- uh, we can take steps that may allow us to change the paradigm altogether, to change the worldview substantially and actually start viewing these things from a different, through a different lens, from a different perspective. And that's exactly what disclosure will do. It is a game changer. It's a worldview changer. It's a paradigm shift, the biggest ever. And we will reassess things, and I think once that assessment reassessment begins is when the age of reform begins. Um, maybe it'll start with the secret empire. Um, people are going to be wanting to re- reform that, alter that, in many ways, because it's gotten too big, too powerful, too secret, whatever. And it'll spread from there into every other institution you can imagine, including finance and religion and, and so forth. But... Once it gets going, and once people and, 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 and even the institutions of this world see the benefits and also see the energy behind it, they're going to want to participate. They're going to feed off that energy, and it's just going to snowball. Hopefully not the revolution. You know, revolution is basically that. It's when 
when the need for change in a shift becomes so great that dramatic and draconian measures are taken. We want to go there. I'm talking about the age of reform, not the age of revolution. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and that only, the only door that I see out of the box that we have created for ourselves as a species of 7.5 billion or whatever it is now, having taxed the limits of the environment, the limits of our social conscious, the limits of our strategic abilities, and the male-dominated paradigm of governance, your tax at the limit doesn't work anymore. It can't solve anything. And we're seeing the breakdown everywhere. In the financial world, in, in religious uh, disputes, in environmental degradation, and on and on and on. Everything's breaking down. Okay, fine. It doesn't mean that individuals can't still live very well. Mm-hmm. They can. But on a collective basis, the species is heading for the crapper. So... Uh, the only the only door out of this box I see that has any chance of getting us out of this box is uh, disclosure, the knowledge of the ET presence, and then from there, uh, all things are possible, and that's how I view it. That's a simple way of looking at an incredibly complex and deep issue that that that, 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 that thousands of scholars will have the whole rest of the twenty twenty first century to mm-hmm. to write about and you can bet that they will. But right now we just have to focus on getting the, the prize and the prize is ending this truth embargo. Uh, so that the, the reality of ET presence is no longer de- denied by the very governments that we pay for. And then on, on top of th- that realization, when that realization does get laid upon the general public, I'm talking the global you know, geopolitical consciousness of the planet, be it uh, you know, through consciousness or, or, or however it disseminates, uh, m- my estimation about that kind of thing would be that it's, it's almost like a, you know, we're breathing a different air. We're breathing a different kind of a quality of, of, of life that's going to bring some different kind of realizations to people. And exactly what you're saying is to reassess virtually everything that we do on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment. Because I'm always accosted by people and say, well, what the hell difference does it make to me whether there's extraterrestrials or not? And I have a really big difficulty dealing with that and not explaining or trying to convince people, but I just don't understand the mindset of people who say it's really not going to make any big difference in my day-to-day life. They don't need to understand it, Victor. They'll figure it out on their own in good time. The disclosure process and movement is not about persuading every person, one after another after another, as to yeah. what they ought to know and what they ought to think. No. Mm-hmm. It's to move forward under an organized effort to achieve a certain goal. And, uh, and, and those who get it will come on board, and those who don't will hold off. It's okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Just don't, 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 don't fret about it. And let's, let's focus back on the hearing, and, and let me tell you something that will happen, and it's is, and is planned that way. Yeah, we got about two minutes left. We got about two minutes left. In those four days from the 20, 29th of April to May three, right? You're going to have hundreds of editors and reporters and publishers and news uh, uh, directors and so forth. On the one hand, watching this testimony coming out at the National Press Club in this hearing, not a conference, in this hearing, this congressional Senate, I mean, citizen hearing. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to look over at the. Uh, they're going to look at the White House statement of October twenty second. There is no evidence of any life outside the planet or any engagement by life of this planet, and there is no evidence of the government hiding anything. And then they'll come back to the testimony and back to that statement, and it will be patently obvious to all of them that, of course, the statement by the White House is totally false. And I think some few of them are going to say enough is enough is enough, and they're going to send out reporters to ask the appropriate questions of the appropriate people. And by that I mean the Secretary of Defense 
well, the former Secretary of Defense Hillary Clinton by then, uh, former President Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. possibly the current Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta, the head of the Center for American Progress, John Podesta, and on and on and on. And they're going to send them out with the idea, ask the question, and demand an answer. And don't just buckle under if you get a funny look. <laughs> For sure. If they don't get an answer, ask them again. If you don't get it, ask them again. And That's when right. that starts, you yeah. will see a feeding frenzy mm-hmm. amongst the media develop, and the truth embargo will be finished. Well, I'll tell you something, Stephen. You've launched something that I hope it's, it seems like you've, you've grabbed a, a Sidewinder missile by the tail. And uh, I, I hope that, uh, and I really, really hope, that this this thing takes off in the way that I that I know you want it to because I understand how you're compelled to do this and that we do congratulate you on this initiative and we want to stand by and watch it uh, take off. Uh, any other just very quickly, um, you know, when it comes up, any you just go to your website, check it out. Uh, you'll be publishing things soon. Citizenhearing.org. Um, the website, the full website, will go up in early January. Okay. ParadigmResearchGroup.org, of mm-hmm. course, to track other things. Great. Um, much is coming. Uh, people should start getting excited. Uh, this is, we're in, I think, the last days, the last months of this embargo. Happy December 21st. I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> for sure. Stephen, thank you very much for being with us this evening, and we'll stay in right. touch with you, and we'll see how things go, and uh, congratulations uh, on this, this initiative. Good night, my friend. You're welcome. Good night. Stephen G. Bassett, uh, Executive Director of the Paradigm Research Group, and citizens hearings coming up in april and uh, if you want to check that out you can check it out on my website zland communications just google that we will be following up with Stephen on it so you can find that out through my website also um it's been a great show thank you very much for staying with us this evening richard will be back he'll be joining you next week on the conspiracy show and my name is victor vigiani i'll leave you with one thought let's just think about this ufos are real The government knows it, but why aren't they telling you? This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.